Y'all better stop. I'm going to start. I'm going to start preaching if y'all don't stop. Can I? Can I? I'm going to do something. I, this was not... This was not planned in the first service. I, this is not how I wanted to get started, but I did. And so I'm going to do it again in the second service. Just turn around and grab your Bibles real quick. Grab your Bibles real quick, okay? Can you grab your Bibles? Everybody got your Bible? Say, I got my Bible. Okay, four of you, praise the Lord. I, I want you to turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 18, beginning in verse 41. And then we're going to go all the way through 2 Kings chapter 19. Y'all were like really excited. I said 2 Kings chapter 19. Like I, we were going to read a whole book in the Bible. Y'all didn't catch that. We're going to go from 1 Kings chapter 18 to 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 19. But before I read all of that, I don't want to read all of that. I just want to read two verses. I'm going to, I want to highlight something. So flip with me over to 1 Kings 19. Here's, here's what's written. It says this. He replied, this is Elijah talking to God. He said, he replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars and they've put your prophets to death with the sword. And I am the only one left and now they are trying to kill me too. Verse 11, the Lord said, I want you to go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. All of creation is crying out. Richard, all of creation is crying out and praising God in the middle of the situation in Elijah's life. All of creation is making some noise. Can I get somebody up in the house of the Lord who's willing to praise the most magnificent God because you know that he's been good to you and because he's poured out his love on you. The Bible says, let everything that hath breath praise ye the Lord. So take that breath that God gave you and release it in the form of praise. Come on, somebody. You, you, you know what? Let me tell you something. I need you to hear this today. You, you don't need someone to tell you when to praise. You don't need all of this stuff, these lights and cameras and equipment and haze. You don't need those drums, you don't need those singers, you don't even need that keyboard player, you don't need me. What you need is something deep down inside of you that desires to give God a shout of praise because you know that he's been so, so good to you. Can I get some high praisers up in the house who will give God 22 seconds of praise? Come on, 22 seconds of praise. Come on, come on, come on, come on. A little bit louder. Not 10 seconds, 22 seconds. Come on, somebody. Woo! Somebody say, yeah. yeah. Let me finish reading. So after the earthquake came the fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. 
gentle whisper. A gentle whisper. Can I give you the title to today's message? Waiting on a whisper. Somebody look at your neighbor and just whisper, waiting on a whisper. Look at another neighbor and say, waiting on a whisper. Online, waiting on a whisper. Look at one other person and say, waiting on a whisper. Some of you are waiting on a whisper from God. Some of you are needing God to whisper into your spirit the victory that you've been looking for. Some of you are needing God to whisper into your spirit the breakthrough that you've been so desperately needing. Some of you are waiting on a whisper. And today, the sound of the Lord's voice is going to whisper into your spirit. Father, today I just pray that your voice, your whisper, would be heard in our spirits, in our hearts, in our, in our minds, Lord. And Lord, may you bless and touch and anoint those who need to hear this word today and may their hearts be ready to receive. And God, let people not see me, but see you. And may they receive the word that they have for you today and that you have for them. God, may you just bless and anoint for it's in your name we pray. Everybody said amen. amen. High five your neighbor, air high five your neighbor and say, waiting on a whisper. Waiting on a whisper. Here we are in week seven. You can be seated. I didn't even tell you and all of y'all were seated. I turned around and everybody's already seated. Lord have mercy. Here we are in week seven of a series that I, I really never thought would go this long and we're closing out the series today build everybody say build but we're not closing out the theme it's the theme for epicenter church for 2022 somebody say i am a builder if you don't have your wristband that says i am a builder you need to get it after church is free i want you to stop by the tent on the way out and make sure that you've got your wristband because god has called us to be builders of his kingdom builders of people how many of you know the building process is not an easy process in week five, let me just be completely transparent. I preached a message that I, I don't know that I fully conveyed what God put in my spirit. I, I don't think I adequately conveyed what he put in my spirit. At least I didn't finish what he put in my spirit. And so today I, I want to go back and pick up in this place that I left off in week five, two weeks ago, because we were talking about this this. The concept of frustration. How many of you know the building process can be frustrating? Are you with me? You know why the building process can be frustrating? It's because the thing that we're building looks so different than what we envision. But Mike, God can use the frustration as a form of education. God can use the frustration in our lives as a form of education to prove to us who he is and what he can do in our seasons of frustration. Again, how many would say that we live in frustrating times? Come on. How many of you right now would be transparent enough to say, I, I, I've got a place of frustration in my life right now. I've got a place of frustration. How many of you would say, i got a person of frustration in my life? If that person's to your right or left, look at him real quick. I, I'm just, 
I'm just kidding. Don't, please don't do that. But you have an emotional frustration. You, you, you have a, a relational frustration. You have an occupational frustration. In fact, over the last couple of weeks, I, I've, I've, I've talked to many of you about the whole concept of, of being frustrated, but yet being faithful in your frustration. Can I finish that concept by using Elijah as an illustration so that we can talk about a little bit more being faithful in frustration today. Is that all right? Is that okay? Let me, let me read some verses with you. Flip back with me over to, to 1 Kings chapter 18. Pick it up in verse 41. We're going to read a few verses and we're going to work our way, if you will, back to the verses that we just read. But here's how it goes in verse 41. It says this. It says, And Elijah said to Ahab, if you're there, by the way, say I'm there. Go eat and drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Caramel. He bent down to the ground and he put his face between his knees. He said, go and look towards the sea, he told his servant. And he went up and he looked and the servant came back and said, there is nothing there. He said seven times, Elijah said, go back. The number for completion in, in the scripture is the number seven. Verse 44, the seventh time the servant reported, I see a cloud as small as a man's hand. It's rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose. A heavy rain started falling and Ahab rode to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came on Elijah, tucking his cloak, his cloak into his belt. He ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Hold on a second. This is a 14-mile journey. He outran the chariot 14 miles. There's a lot happening in, in this passage of Scripture. In fact, let, let me just, just pause right here and give you some context. Because to be honest with you, we could stop right here and begin to celebrate the faithfulness of God in this story. We could begin to celebrate the miraculous nature of God through Elijah in this story. There's a lot of stuff happening. In fact, what's happened just now in the last two chapters, in chapters 17 and 18, Elijah is trying to bring the people of Israel back to a saving knowledge of God because the people of Israel are worshiping other false gods. They're non-committal when it comes to God himself. And so what does Elijah do? Elijah, being the man of God that he is, he, 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 he has this showdown lined up with the false prophets of Baal and the false prophets of Asherah. And he says, what we're going to do is we're going to go up on top of Mount Carmel and we're going to call down the fire of God. And whomever's God answers with fire and consumes this, this offering, this sacrifice, is the one true God. Baal had 450 false prophets. Asherah, the goddess Asherah, had 400 false prophets. So here they bring this bull. They offer this bull as a sacrifice. They place him on the altar. And Elijah, being the gentleman that he is, he says, okay, guys, you go first. The false prophets of Baal and the false prophets of Asherah, they begin to cry out to, to their God, God, bring down fire from heaven. And that doesn't work. Minutes go by, hours go by, and then they begin to cut themselves and sacrifice themselves. God, bring down fire from heaven. All the while, 
here's Elijah over here. He's kind of antagonizing them. He's like, <laughs> maybe your God's asleep. <laughs> maybe, guys, your God's on vacation. Maybe he's in Cancun. He's on the, on, on the beach just enjoying the sun. You know what I'm saying? Or maybe your God is, is really busy right now on social media, kind of making that new TikTok. You know what I'm saying? Just got a TikTok just right. In the first service, all the old folks, they were saying, what in the world is TikTok? I said, it's the same thing as MySpace. You, you, you get it with me. <laughs> oh, some of the young folks in here are like, what's MySpace? <laughs> so Elijah says, okay, guys, you had your turn. Now it's my turn. And then he brings in 12 basins of water. He digs a moat around the sacrifice and he pours 12 basins of water on this sacrifice. He floods the whole area until the whole moat is full of water. And then he gets back and he says, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob and fire comes down from heaven and it consumes the sacrifice and then it licks up all of the water. And so Elijah grabs all of the false prophets and he has them killed. Now, he's on the top of Mount Carmel and he's praying that God would end the drought. And as he's praying that God would end the drought, the drought's been going on for three and a half years. He's praying, he's praying, he's praying. And finally, his servant comes back and says, there's a, there's, there's a cloud. It's about the size of a man's hand. I don't know who this is for, but you need to understand all it takes is a little bit of faith. All it takes is a little, do you have a little bit of faith? That's all it takes, a cloud the size of a man's hand that's coming up out of the sea. But then all of a sudden there was rain. The drought is over and the Bible says the power of the Lord came over Elijah so that he tucked his cloak into his belt and he ran all the way back to Jezreel and he outran the chariot 14 miles. We could sit right here and talk about all of the miracles and the faithfulness of God and, and the faith of Elijah. But there's so much more happening in this narrative. In fact, in chapter 19, thanks, Colin. I appreciate your help. Colin, you smooth. Everybody say, Colin, smooth. Calm down now. So here in chapter 19, though, something, there's a transition, Tom. There's this shift that takes place in chapter 18. We, we should still be celebrating. We should be like, oh, God is awesome, just like clapping and just on top of the mountaintop experience because of what God has just done. He's, he's, the, all of the false prophets are gone. The drought that lasted for three and a half years is gone. The people of Israel are now beginning to realize who the real God is. And, and, and then chapter 19 happens. Chapter 19, there's a shift that takes place. How many of you know sometimes a shift can take place pretty quickly? Chapter 19, verse 1, it says, now, somebody say now. Now, oh, all of a sudden we're seeing now there is something different that is happening in chapter 19 from what was taking place in chapter 18. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. They're just getting back to Jezreel. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. What? Hold on a second. What? What's happening here? All Elijah has been doing, somebody say now. 
All Elijah's been doing is what God has told him to do. He's living in his purpose. But now, there's something that's happening that Elijah wasn't prepared for in his spirit or didn't think would happen. Maybe the thing that he thought he was building for God is now it's looking so much different than what he thought now. And, and therefore, look at verse 3. It says, Elijah was afraid. And he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. Hold on a second. Now, Elijah was afraid. This is so powerful to me. Because in chapter 18, you've got victory. You've got faith. You've got mountaintop experiences. You're calling down fire from heaven. You're calling down rain from heaven and ending three and a half years of drought. You're killing all of the false prophets. But now you have fear. And you have frustration. I don't know who needs to hear this today, but I believe it's probably a, a, a lot of people. On the eve of your greatest victory, the enemy will show up to try to tell you that you are a nobody or a nothing. He'll show up and try to tell you that you are a nobody, that you are a nothing, that you cannot accomplish this thing that is standing before you, that you will never be. I don't know who this is for, but this story proves to us that there can be two things happening in your life at the same time. You can be anointed but still annoyed. You can have some fear but still have some faith. You can have faith but still be frustrated. You can be in a place that you never thought that you would be. You can be worn out. You could be busted. You could be tired. You could be overwhelmed but what you need to tell yourself is I may be all of those things but the one thing that I still am is I am anointed in other words it can rain but you can still feel dry the drought can be over but you still feel its effects you can have faith but still have some fear. You can have faith and still be frustrated. But can you be faithful in your frustration? Because that's what the story's about. You see, I, I don't believe for one moment that, that Elijah's fear was because of a lack of faith. Because we see in chapter 18, he's got plenty of faith. I believe that Elijah's fear was because of an abundance of frustration. Frustration begats fear because we don't know how to deal with the frustration. And fear usually comes because of the things that are unknown in our lives. Let me show you something. Let's continue to read verses 3 and 4. Verses 3 and 4, it says this. It says, so when he gets there, to Beersheba, he left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom brush tree. He sat down under it, and he prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. For I'm no better than my ancestors. I've had enough. It's the distraction of frustration. He said, I've had enough. In the brokenness of loneliness, he says, God, 
I've had enough. And the brokenness of loneliness was the direct result of his frustration. I've been doing everything that I thought I was supposed to do. I feel like I've been faithful, but yet, God, I'm still frustrated. I need you to live inside of this narrative today. Because your Jezebel may not look like his Jezebel. But the effects of your Jezebel bring the same things. Some of you are tired. Some of you are worn. Some of you have sat down under a a broom tree and you've said, I've had enough. I can't take it anymore, God. I've had all that I can stand. So what does Elijah do? Elijah, in chapter 19, does the exact opposite thing of what he did in chapter 18. In other words, he allowed his frustration to cause him to stop acting on his faith. Can you be faithful in your frustration? And so now, I need you to grab this. So now he's under, under that broom straw tree and he's like, Lord, I've had enough. I can't do this anymore. In other words, he sees his place of frustration as a place of failure. I need you to hear this today. The enemy will make you believe that your place of frustration is a place of failure. And when you get to that place, you'll be so frustrated that your instinctual reaction will be to highlight your unworthiness. Because Elijah said, I'm no better than my ancestors. His instinctual reaction was to focus on what he felt like was this place of unworthiness in his life. And so he began to list his failures and he began to dialogue about his failures and he began to place those labels on back on himself that at, at some point in time have been torn off. But now he remembers what his grandma said about his family, that our family's unworthy. He remembers what, what somebody told him about his family. And so when the stress of life comes upon him, it squeezes out of him this thought of, 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 of unworthiness. Can I tell you something? I, I, don't, I don't know who this is for. But when you are going through a season of frustration, that is not the time to search for answers. I need you to hear me. Because some of you are saying, oh, yes, it is, because that's, that's when I need a, an answer from, from God in that season of frustration. No, 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 no. If you're looking for answers in the season of frustration, that, that's like trying to diagnose a hurricane in the middle of a tornado. Sometimes you got to get to the other side and look back. You got to get to the other side and look back on what was, because if you are asking yourself questions at the wrong time, in the wrong season, most likely if you're in the season of frustration and trying to get the right answers, you're going to end up at unhealthy answers. You're going to end up at unhealthy answers because you're going to be focused on why rather than what. 
And when you are so focused on why rather than what, you will then begin to answer questions in such a way that are not necessarily the way God wants you to answer those questions. Because the season of life is so frustrating and you're so worn out and you're so tired and you're sitting here saying, I've had enough, but yet you're, you're, you're looking for the right answer, but yet you're looking at the wrong time. You, you cannot focus on why when you need to be focusing on what. And so what will end up happening is you'll sit there underneath that broom straw tree and you'll say, I, I've had enough. I can't do this anymore. And then you know... What you'll do right in the middle of all of that, you'll begin to believe that the weaponry that you're working with is insufficient for the battle that you're in. Anybody in here ever felt like the weapon that you have in your hand is not enough for the battle? Come on, I'm just, I'm just being honest with you. Like as a, as a parent, you, you know, these kids are born, they come out, they, it's, they're screaming when they come out. Right out of the gate. And you know, you're looking for the manual to follow. And sometimes you don't know what to do and you're so frustrated because, God, I don't know what to do. It's like, and as they get older, their situations become more complicated and then you see them going through difficulty. And as they're going through difficulty, your heart rips out because you don't know what to do and you can't fix it. Or maybe you're, you're a business owner and you just don't know what to do in this, this current economic environment that we're in. I don't know. Or, or maybe, you, you know, with your spouse, it's, a, it's so much harder than, than what you thought it would be. And so you, you fight and you, you fight and, and you fight even more. And, and you're, like, you're like, God, I just need you to show up. And, and, and right in the middle of the fight, you're, you're just like, you're, you're worn out. You're worn out from the fight. So you're frustrated financially, you're frustrated emotionally, you're frustrated relationally. I think I hit them all. All of us are under one of those frustrations. And so you fight. You fight, you fight, you fight to get out of the bed in the morning. You, you, you fight to get a job. You fight to keep the job. You, you fight to feel important on the job. You, you, you fight with this difficulty, you fight with that anxiety, you fight with this insecurity, you, 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 you fight with your haters, you fight with the backbiters, you fight with the liars. Sometimes you find yourself fighting with your family. Sometimes you lie awake at night and you find yourself fighting with your emotions and you fight and you fight and you fight and you fight and you're worn out and you're worn out and you're frustrated because you've been doing all of this fighting. But the question is, can you be frustrated and still faithful so here's Elijah I've had enough I'm gonna move out from under this broom straw tree for just a minute I've had enough you see that place that place when you get to that place that's where you begin to tear down the very thing that you've been building you hear me? You get to that place. That's when you begin to, to, you're no longer in the building process. You're in the tearing down process. And, and you begin to talk to yourself about all of your frustrations. And then you turn your frustrations into failure. And you begin to dialogue, if you will, about your frustrations. And pretty soon your frustrations become your identity. And then you press into your kids your frustrations. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. 
In other words, listen, listen to what he said. He said, I'm no better than my ancestors. In other words, some family members pressed into him unworthiness. Some family members pressed into him their insecurities. We have to be careful with what we press into our kids. Hear me out. We have to be careful with what we... We cannot press our frustrations into our kids because then they're living according to our frustration. Let me say this. Your kids will abuse in excess what you do in moderation. Hello? And you cannot weigh your kids down with your own unmet expectations in life so that they are living their lives based upon something that you didn't experience. Holy moly. That's good. Because the enemy, he'll try to make you think you're nothing. He'll try to turn that place of frustration into failure. But if you're not faithful in your frustration, then your frustration will lead you to hopelessness. Grab this. I, I just feel like this is for somebody. If you're not faithful in your frustration, your frustration will lead you to hopelessness. What is hope? Hope is the ability to believe that even though today is messed up, that God has my tomorrow. Hope is your ability to hold on to tomorrow when you feel like you're sinking today. Hope is your ability. In fact, hope is, is the bridge in between your pain and your purpose. Hope is the bridge in between your past and your future. Hope is the bridge in between your disaster and your destiny. Hope is the thing that will allow you to hold on to God right in the middle of a, of a hellacious day and to be able to say, this is the day the Lord hath made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Because what the enemy wants to do is he wants to rob you of your hope. Because if he can rob you of your hope, you'll stop thinking about your tomorrow and you'll hang out in the miry clay. But the Bible says that God will lift us up out of the miry clay. So if you'll focus on tomorrow, place your hope in God, it doesn't matter how messed up today is because tomorrow's a brand new day. And then... The story continues. Can I, can I move on? Can I have a little extra time today? I'm taking it anyway. I'm just saying there's a lot of work went into this. Praise Jesus. And I know he's got something for you. Verses 5 through 7. Watch this. Watch this. It says, then he lay down under the bush and he fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate, and he drank, and then he laid down. Verse 7, the angel of the Lord came back a second time. Somebody say a second time. Aren't you glad that God keeps chasing us? 
Aren't you glad that God will come the second time, the third time, the fourth time, the fifth time? Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that God didn't give up on you when you were sitting in some alley all broke, busted, and disgusted? Aren't you glad that when you messed up, God didn't turn his back on you like some others have? Aren't you glad that when you couldn't figure it out and everybody told you that you were a loser, that God said, oh, no, you're more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus? Aren't you glad that when you were depressed that God came and he sent to you his encouragement? I'm about to preach up in this place. Y'all going to get me all riled up. Good Lord, have mercy. So he came the second time and he touched him and he said, you get up and you eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and he ate and he drank, strengthened by what the food that he had received. He traveled 40 days, 40 nights until he reached Oreb. The mountain of God, verse 9, there he went into a cave and he spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him again. Somebody say again. Hold on a second. I'm going to give you a, a geography lesson here. What God is doing for Elijah is he's ministering to him physically by giving him rest. Sometimes the best thing that you can do for your spirit is to get some rest. And then he's preparing him for the journey because now he's taking him to Mount Oreb, which is also known as Mount Sinai, which is also the place where God met with Moses. The problem is it's 200 miles away and it's going to take 40 days and 40 nights to get there. And then he says in verse 10, he says, the rest of verse 9, and the Lord came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He, he replied, I, I've been very zealous. Hold on a second. Before I even read this, I, I just feel it in my spirit that somebody needs to, to hear this. And the, the word of the Lord came to him uh, uh, again. Some of you are looking for a word from God. You need a word. You need breakthrough. You're praying, God, I, I just need a word from you. Just give me a word that everything's going to be all right. God, give me a word. And listen, th there's nothing wrong with seeking a word. You should seek words from God. But the problem is, notice something. God pulled Elijah out of this situation and took him away from the situation in order to spend time alone with him. For some of you, the reason why you're not getting the word is because you're not fighting through the difficulty in order to get to the word. Let me say it again. Some of you, you're not receiving the word because you're not fighting through the busyness of life in order to get along with his word. You've got to be willing to fight through discouragement and depression to get along with his word. Why? Because his word is a seed. I need you to see it this way. His word is a seed. And if you are going through depression, you need to get into his word and, and find the scripture verse that talks about that God is your joy, that he's an ever-present help. You've got to get into the scripture verse and find that, that peace that surpasses all understanding that guards your hearts and your minds. If you're fighting an addiction, then you've got to get into his word and find out where it talks about how God's right arm is so strong and how he can break the, the yoke 
yoke and his anointing will break the yoke and it will lift the burden and how he will deliver you. If you're sick, you've got to get into his word and find those healing scriptures that talk about how God desires to heal your life and heal your body and heal your emotions. I'm just saying, you can't find that word on TikTok and Facebook and Instagram. I'm not preaching against a social media platform. You have that social media platform. But the word that you need isn't going to come from that. The word that you need that will give you the weapon that you need, it's going to come from his word. Why? Because this is the weapon. Some of you are saying, well, I don't have the weapon that I need to fight the battle that I'm in. Well, the reason for that is because you're not in this in order to receive and recognize that weapon. So in verse 10, verse 10 it says, verse 10, somebody say verse 10. So Elijah replied to God, he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars and and put your prophets to death with the sword and I'm the only one left and now they are trying to kill me too. Do you see what he's doing? Just before verse 10, it says at the end of verse 9, under the heading, the Lord appears to Elijah. It says, and the word of the Lord came to him and asked a question. What are you doing here, Elijah? Keep that in, in the back of your mind for a minute. What are you doing here, Elijah? What kind of a question is that? What are you doing here? I, I need you to grab this. Because God knows why Elijah is there. God sent Elijah there. So when you look at it from that perspective, I don't think this is a geographic question. Why are you here, Elijah? It's an emotional and spiritual question. Why are you in this place, Elijah? Where's that dude from chapter 18? How many of you know sometimes we're in chapter 18 in our lives and sometimes we're in chapter 19? Sometimes we're riding that high in chapter 18 and sometimes we feel the low of chapter 19. He says... In chapter 10, he said, I've been very zealous for you, God. <laughs> he said, the Israelites have rejected your covenant. They torn down your altars. They put to death all the prophets. And now they're trying to even kill me too. You know what he's doing? God is allowing, this is what I love about God. God is allowing Elijah to vent his frustrations. That's what he's doing. I need you to hear this. If you find yourself in a place where you are overwhelmed, where you are burdened, where, 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 you are, or where you've got just, you're worn out and, and, and you're tired and you just can't figure it out, know that God wants to hear your frustrations. Why? Because he's an ever-present help in a time of need. I, I, it just, it baffles me because you know why Elijah is overwhelmed? He's overwhelmed because Jezebel said, I'm going to kill you before this day's over. Why did that overwhelm him? Because he had to, well, let me say it this way. What did he expect? He just killed every last one of Jezebel's prophets that she had been paying for all of these years. He just took them all out. Does he think that she's just going to say, well, oh, well, thank you. 
The point that I'm trying to make is that God never told Elijah that you wouldn't face difficulty. He just said, I'm going to be with you when you face that difficulty. God never promised Elijah that when you were going through all of this stuff that you won't have to fight through some things. God never told you that in order for you to experience joy that you wouldn't have to fight through despair. God never told you that in order for you to experience peace that you wouldn't have to fight through adversity. God never told you before you could reach breakthrough that you wouldn't have to go through a broken period. God just promised I'm going to be with you when you go through those things. Sometimes God will bless you with some things, but just because he's blessed you with some things doesn't mean you won't have to fight through some things. Let me say it this way. Just because you're anointed doesn't mean you will not be annoyed. Just because the dry season is over and it's raining doesn't mean that you won't still feel dry. (laughs) Just because God has told you to build some things doesn't mean that you won't have to fight through some of those things in order to build those things. So where are we at? We're at verse 11. We're at verse 11. We're at verse 11. Before I even read verse 11, let me say this. One thing that the enemy will do is make you forget what you've already accomplished. Think about it. He will make you forget. Sometimes we're living in chapter 18. Sometimes we're in chapter 19. Sometimes it's a mountaintop experience. And sometimes we're like, God, I can't do this anymore. And we're underneath a, a broom straw tree. Listen, what you need to understand is that this is what's beautiful about this story. God was with Elijah in chapter 18. And God was also with Elijah in chapter 19. So God is doing some things in your life. He's, he's forming you. When you're going through seasons of frustration, maybe it's because God knows that he's got something for you. And maybe that quickness of temper he's trying to work on. Or, 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 or maybe that, that, that place of patience that you need. Or maybe he's trying to show you perseverance so that you'll be ready for the place that he's sending you. Verses 11 and 12. Let me show you this. Let me show you this. Verses 11 and 12, it says this. Verse 11. Verse 11, here we go. Verse 11 says, the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. For the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. Next verse, after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. What was God doing? God was showing him that it was not the dramatic manifestations that he needed to be looking for. It was the intimacy with God that he needed to be looking for. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, what? Are you doing here, Elijah? Hold on a second. I don't want to pass by this moment. I feel the Lord working. I want to prophesy over you right now because I believe some of you, God is about to place a gentle whisper into your spirit. 
He's going to whisper over you the things that you've been crying out for when nobody else knew that you were crying out. He's about to meet you in that place. Things that you've been seeking God for, but yet you've forgotten all that he's already done. God's about to prove who he is again in your life. And it will come in the form of a gentle whisper. But there's something that you need to know. When God gives to you a gentle whisper, it's always followed with a command. Look at the rest of it. It says, when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and he went out. He stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah, still not picking up on it, he said, verse 14, put it up for me. It says, he replied, I, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. from, They've torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. And I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. Verse 15, the Lord said to him, go back the way you came. What? Lord, that's a 200-mile journey. Lord, you know what's back there waiting on me. He gave him a gentle whisper, followed with a command. Hold on a second. He said, the Lord said, go back the way that you came. Go back the way that you came. And go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel, the king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, the king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Elba, that name, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Azil, and Elisha will put to death anyone who escapes the sword of Jehu. Verse 18, yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel. All of those knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. Hold on a second. Did Elijah not say, I'm the only one left? But yet God says, there's 7,000 more people just like you. Lord have mercy. So Elijah went from there. Hold on a second. So Elijah did what? So Elijah did what? So Elijah did what? Oh, this is where it's going to get good. So Elijah went. He got a word. He had chapter 18, mountaintop experience, chapter 19, I, I can't do this anymore. Spent some time alone with God. God did something great in his life, and then God gave him a gentle whisper, and then Elijah went. Hold on a second. This is how I want to close out this series, but this is how you need to live your year. The promise of God is not something that you sit under. It's something that you build under. Grab that. The promise of God is not something that you sit under. It's something that you build under. Because the very thing, I want you to go and get up on your feet. The very thing that you thought would kill you, God will use to elevate you. The very thing that you have said, I cannot do this anymore, God will use it to bring a victory into your life. The very thing that you have said, I don't have enough, but God is whispering into you right now, I'm more than enough. I'm more than enough. I'm more than enough. I'm more than enough in your weakness. I'm more than enough in, 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 in your problem. I, I'm more than enough in your difficulty. I'm more than enough when you can't figure it out. I'm more than enough if you'll just hang on to me. I'm more than enough peace for your adversity. I'm more than enough joy for your discouragement. I'm more than enough healing for your sickness. I'm more than enough. Somebody needs to hold on to the Lord up in this place today and give him a radical praise because he is more than enough.